Hey y'all, this is Lars Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 20 and 44 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about Derrick Rose's injury, Jordan McRae's acquisition, and the benefits of Sekou's shuffle down to Grand Rapids. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulger. Ben, how are you doing? Doing great. To all my fellow Michiganders, I hope this 60 degrees and sunny, like it is here in Lansing, visited you wherever you are in Michigan. Spring feels like it's here, but I think we're going to get... Uh, going to get taunted with some cold weather the rest of this week how are you Les? i'm doing okay daylight savings time being today just like really threw me for a loop almost as soon as i woke up because i got an old analog uh clock nice and then i got my phone and so i'm like staring at the two things like how can this be and it's like <laughs> oh it's this week this doesn't make any sense yeah let's get let's get rid of daylight savings time it's terrible there's just I no know. reason for it anymore I and you know it was like maybe it was a good idea when like we were out in the farmlands like right. harvesting now probably not so much probably don't need it but uh one thing <laughs> one thing the pistons have found that they don't need this season is uh Derek Rose if he's hurt <laughs> uh that's that's a transition for you guys <laughs> so we recorded on Sunday prior to the Kings game and then Derek Rose got hurt in the game so we didn't talk about it so now we're going to talk about it uh Derek has a grade two ankle sprain. He will be reevaluated in a week, approximately a week from now, but with very little to play for and the incentive to keep him kind of healthy for next year, because by all accounts, it sounds like the Pistons will hang on to him. Do you really think it makes sense, Ben, for the Pistons to play Derek Rose uh, at all the rest of the season? For me, the risk reward analysis is pretty clear. Let him go ahead and ride the rest of the season out on the injured list. There's literally nothing left to play for right so uh, yeah let's let him get healthy ankle sprains only get better with time let's let him have as much time as he needs plus on the upside uh, the more Derek Rose sits the more Brandon Knight we get to see so yeah uh, you know I was a little discouraged this week after Rose's injury because it looks like Jordan Bone just doesn't have the confidence of the coaching staff right I mean this was obviously going to be his opportunity if he was going to get one. And I guess there's a part of me that's a little worried that maybe this means they're trying to evaluate Brandon Knight, see if they can get him on the cheap this summer. Ugh, and that just kind of makes me shudder. Um, but yeah, let Rose get healthy. That's that's what's good for everybody. Yeah. I mean, we, we know very intimately how ankle sprains can really mess up Detroit Pistons point guards, right? Like that was one of the injuries that Reggie Jackson suffered during his time. And so I do think, it makes a lot of sense to just let Derrick Rose recover, 
get an entire summer to be healthy and uh, start the next season fresh. But you bring up a good point with the coaching staff not believing in Jordan Bone. Um, This is something that I've also been frustrated about, but it's something that I think if if I had paid more attention, I would have we would have seen uh, the signs a little bit earlier. I remember there was like a a live chat at the Athletic where uh, James Edwards was saying like you know basically like the the Pistons don't love Jordan Bone as much as the rest of you guys do, and so like you always have to remember right like Bone was a fifty seventh overall pick guy on a two way very minimal investment um, probably not thought of as like a long term uh, asset for this team. And so it, it makes some sense as to why they would want to look at other options besides uh, besides him. Now, that's not to say that, um, you know, that's the right thing to do or the correct thing to do, because I do think Jordan Bone's really talented. I do think that there should be more like space made for him. But, uh, you know, that's clearly not what we're, what we're seeing. And we're working with uh, incomplete information off of that one anyway. Um but, you know, one thing that I think Derrick Rose's absence has shown us is that the Pistons are really lacking in a, like, shot creation, ball handling department. This is something we've talked about before in the past. And they attempted to fill that gap by picking up Jordan McRae off of waivers. Um, you know, but McRae is not necessarily a classic, like, rebuilding team pickup, right? Like, he's 28, 29 years old, um, and he kind of just get buckets. It's very well established, like, what he does at an NBA level, and that's just, like, score. He doesn't really do much else. Now, Ben, how, how valuable do you think a rebuilding team, uh, or how valuable do you think just, like, a pure scorer who isn't, like, necessarily part of the long-term future uh, for a rebuilding team like the Pistons? Yeah, I really agree with you on this one. Um, th- this was a puzzling pickup to me. Um at his age, as you mentioned, he's sort of right in the middle of his prime of his career, which means he pretty much is what he is, right? And then given his skill set, which, as you mentioned, is fairly one-dimensional, um, there's not a clear long-term role here for him in Detroit. Well, that's not to say he's not useful, right? I mean, I can see his skill set fitting in on a whole lot of bench units. He's a guy I'd like to have on my bench unit, and right? If I were a fully healthy Pistons team right now, He does a good job of getting to the free throw line. He did that really well this week. And then obviously uh, he kind of filled it up from everywhere. Uh, But as a rebuild piece, definitely confusing to me. But, you know, honestly, it sort of gets me thinking and maybe worrying. And this is where I'm like, you know, that Pistons fan who's been traumatized by a decade of silly decisions. You know, what if the front office is really starting to convince themselves and be torn between the need to do a full rebuild and try to remain competitive at the same time, right? So think about a lineup like this, Rose and Bruce as your two point guards, Kennard, McCray, and Svee playing the two, Snell, Svee, and Seku at the three, healthy Blake Griffin at the four, backed up by someone they'll pick up later, and then Christian Wood and John Henson. Like, that's not a bad lineup, right? Like, there's some competition there like maybe they approach being a winning team with that unit Um, but boy that's really not the rebuild we're hoping for right so there's a part of me that's worried that this pickup signals that they're still trying to trot out being a competitive team as soon as next season which I think is a little bit premature but tell me I'm crazy like I want to believe I'm nuts on this last 
I don't think you're crazy, Ben. Uh, I think that they, this team has never, the ownership has never really desired to rebuild. This is something that they have adjusted their mindset to, not something that was like originally their, their conception of like how the, the season should go. And so I think the lineup you proposed is, you know, probably a likely starting lineup, barring anything uh, crazy happening in free agency this offseason, right? Like, you know, maybe you have whoever the Pistons draft uh, somewhere in that rotation as well. Um, maybe you you don't keep a John Henson or like you find someone to, to take on a Tony Snell or something like that. But, you know, the core, the uh, the central pieces of like Derek Rose, Luke Kennard, Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin and, and Christian Wood, like and, you know, a, some rookies kind of around them. Like, I, I don't think that's bad lineup either but i do think that you know because you know luke is a young guy bruce is a young guy um you have seku in there playing in the rotation he'll be a young guy you'll have whoever they pick up in the draft as a young guy christian wood is not necessarily young he's younger than jordan mccray for example but yeah you know he'll be 25 i think next season um and so there there will be kind of space for the team to be rebuilding with uh, players that it already has optimistic outlooks uh, about, but that team will not necessarily be full of uh, like two way guys and like 19 year olds, right? It won't be, you know, we talked about a little bit about Jordan Bone, like it won't be full of guys like Jordan Bone, guys on the fringes of uh, the NBA, and, you know, Pistons are trying to excavate and find some hits. I think that, and I think, you know, I think you can honestly attribute some of that to coaching. Right. Like Dwayne Casey did not come here to facilitate a rebuild. He came here to help this team make the playoffs. And now that appears to be an impossibility. And so, you know, he still wants to be competitive. He still wants to uh, get the team to play like energetically and, and skillfully every night. And, you know, 19 year old kids are, are not necessarily conducive to that happening. And so it makes a lot of sense why the coaching staff would appease um, a guy like Casey or the, uh, the front office would pease Casey by picking up a guy who, uh, can very easily like slide into a similar, um, type of like self-creation role that Derek Rose had. Um, and that's not to say that like, I don't think Jordan McCray is going to be here like next year or anything, but, uh, I do think that this team is not going to try and be, you know, like fewer than 20 wins bad next year. So I don't think you're crazy. I think you're right. All right, Ben. Uh, the next guy I really want to talk about was Christian Wood. Uh, Christian Wood's making himself a lot of money uh, this week. He uh, scored a career-high 29 points against Oklahoma City and then followed that up with a career-high 30 points against Utah. That's still two losses, but you know his offensive production has really skyrocketed, and the Pistons have been uh, pretty bad when he's been off the floor um, ever since the, uh, the rebuild kind of officially kicked off. Um, our own Joe Truck wrote about how the Pistons need to be playing Christian Wood more at center uh, this week on Detroit Bad Boys. Uh, with his offensive production, Ben, does his, uh, does Woods, whatever position does he play, does that really matter to you? It depends on timing. Right now, if where I'm at in terms of my mindset with the franchise is I'm, I'm really hoping for a legitimate rebuild. Everyone who listens to the podcast knows that at this point. And honestly, worrying about the difference between a four and a five for Christian Wood, 
to me, isn't really a luxury rebuilding teams are going to have, right? You know, we've seen this with Bruce Brown, for example. Casey seems to really want to play him off the ball, no matter how good he's been at point guard this season. But Casey's been forced to play him some at point guard, right? The injuries to Reggie Jackson, the injuries to Derrick Rose, and so on. So I, I sort of see a similar scenario uh, evolving with Christian Wood when you're Top three bigs are Thon Maker, John Henson, and Christian Wood. You don't really get to pick where you want to play one of them all the time, right? So uh, I don't th- think it's too big of an issue this year or even next year. Uh, and, and that's not to say I think Joe is wrong. I think Joe, uh, you know, obviously made a good case for his position. Um, but what I think ultimately this comes down to is the defensive side of the court. I don't think Christian's game offensively changes a whole lot whether he's playing the four or he's playing the five. We've seen him out there with Thon Maker, and we've seen him out there with Henson. He's kind of the same guy, right? He, he'll he take some threes, he'll put the ball on the floor, uh, and he'll try to dunk on everyone, no matter what position he's playing. Uh, but I think ultimately what it's going to come down to is when the Pistons get to the point that they're fine-tuning, and again, I don't think a rebuilding team needs to worry too much about the fine-tuning component. I think what they need to be considering is where do they see him as a better fit defensively? Uh, obviously, when you look at him next to a guy like Steven Adams this week, I think he got pushed around a little bit. Um, but the flip side of that is on offense, he certainly has an advantage because of his quickness and his versatility. So, you know, I think ultimately, you know, next year, if, if we're thinking Blake Griffin is coming back, which I think there's all the reasons in the world to think that he is, then it makes sense for Christian Wood to be starting alongside him uh, at center, assuming they don't make some sort of a big splash for another guy. So, um, yeah, I mean, playing him at center is just sort of the the natural result of the roster you have to work with, and, and that means he might be a five next year. But yeah, I'm just not too worried about it at the moment. Yeah, I think you've hit on what I think the like the real question is. It's not necessarily whether or not Christian Wood is a center. It's can he play next to Blake? And if he can or can't, like that affects what kind of players you sign in this offseason or what kind of players you choose to go after in this offseason. Um, if I remember correctly, the Blake Wood uh, minutes were not amazing defensively, but there was there was some there there. Um, I remember talking on the podcast, right, about how Blake Griffin was kind of functioning as uh, Christian Wood's brain on defense, getting him <laughs> yep. into position, right, mm-hmm. like uh, getting him in, into the spots he needed to be. And, uh, you know, Wood does a great job of leveraging his athleticism as a rebounder, and that's something that's been really important for this team. But really, ultimately, like I see Christian Wood on on a good team, he is filling a lot of the same role as like Montrezl Harrell does for the Clippers, right? Just a very active, uh, very skilled uh, big man who comes off the bench but plays long minutes and that you surround with better defensive players to kind of hide his weaknesses on that end. Um, I think, you know, part of what Joe talked about in his piece was getting Christian Wood reps defensively at center so that he could improve in that area. I don't know if that's going to be the case uh christian woods allowing i think like 64 percent uh at the rim this season that's not great um and we and you know at this point we have seen enough of him 
playing uh, as like as a lone big man, you know, after the Andre Drummond trade, to where uh, you see that you know he, that's something he's really struggling with. You, were, I was watching this in the Utah game this morning actually, and how um, you know if guys like Tony Snell and Bruce Brown and Brandon Knight weren't able to cut off the guard penetration, uh, Christian Wood found himself in no man's land a lot, and that is something that kind of. It kind of that works if you're rebuilding, but if you're trying to win games and you're trying to be a great team, like that's not going to be something that Dwayne Casey was happy about. And if you remember when this team was trying to win games earlier in the year, Christian Wood was playing less despite, you know, equally impressive offensive production. So all that is to say that, uh, you know, I do think that Christian Wood is not necessarily a center, um, but it doesn't really matter until this team decides what kind of players they want to put around him. And they could kind of solve some of that by, you know, just finding other equally, you, f- you find guys who fit uh, what would doesn't do well and, and cover him in those departments and worry less about uh, positional designations, right? You need, because Wood is a imperfect defensive player, you need a, a better defensive uh, quarterback, on you know on the back line a good rebounder and a and a shot blocker and uh you know and let wood operate from the perimeter and a guy is not going to like take away his touches uh on on offense and i you know some of those guys are available this offseason we'll see what the pistons are are interested in uh as far as you know big men to play to play next to christian wood yeah, and I so interestingly, I think we're sort of taking for granted the fact that Christian Wood is going to be a piston next season. I mean, I don't think there's anything pointing to the fact that he won't be, but he's playing himself into some legitimate money right now, um, yeah. and it it's going to be a di- it could well it could become a difficult question depending on how high the market is on Christian Wood. Like, I, I mean, it's not out of the it's not out of the realm of possibility that we're talking like legitimate key cog starter money in free agency for Christian Wood. Um, And that's sort of ironic to me because the Pistons traded Andre Drummond to get some cap space. And if they ultimately (laughs) committing that, they end up committing that back into the front court. Like, I'm not saying that's a bad decision because I really like Christian Wood. It's just sort of ironic uh, that they end up going that route. And, And really with, you sort of get, it's sort of a different side of the coin of Andre Drummond. I mean, Andre for all his flaws Actually, I think did do a good job defending at the rim. Christian Wood does not. And Christian's obviously much more effective offensively than Andre, right? So it's sort of flip sides of the same coin. So just sort of an irony, right? That Wood could end up playing himself into the cap chase that they uh, <laughs> created by trading another big man. Yeah. I think it, as far as like what Christian Wood will make this offseason, I think the Pistons will be kind of helped out in that he appears to like it here, right? Like this is the first situation that he's really um, developed and blossomed in, uh, for like a full season. Um, I think the Pistons will also be helped that by the fact that very few teams have a lot of cap space this off season and the Pistons will be one of them. Um, you know, we've talked about what we'd be okay with giving wood in the past and those numbers kind of still stand, but, um, you know, at this point, because the Pistons are, are rebuilding and they're so, you know, talent poor, um, I don't, I don't even mind really giving Christian wood, um, a, a not like a not like a crazy amount of money but like I don't mind paying what I think it's going to take to to retain Christian Wood because you know he makes this team better 
Um, you know, I just talked all about his defense and stuff, but like, no, he absolutely makes this team, this team better. Um, yeah. All right, Ben. Uh, one interesting thing this week was the, uh, the play of Seku Dumbuya. Um, they sent Seku back down to Grand Rapids. Actually, he played in Maine, which was funny to me. Um, and he hit uh, a game winner for the Grand Rapids drive and scored 30 points in uh, his short time there. Uh, they called him back up to play against the Jazz. He played, uh, he played pretty well. He had nine points and uh, three rebounds in 20 minutes. Um, you know, as we kind of question ourselves, like what the best way to to get Seku to play better is. Dwayne Casey said earlier in the week that he expected that Seku like could spend some time swapping between Grand Rapids and Detroit uh, until the end of the G League season. Um, ben, do you think that's you think that's beneficial? I mean, uh, Seku did have one of the better games he's had in a while uh, after his G League performance. Yeah, I mean, my eye test sort of says the same thing. Um, to me, Seku definitely looked much more assertive uh, in that game coming back from the G League than he did prior. Um, to me, he looked like he knew that he belonged out there, right? Like he went and scored 30 and hit a game winner. Maybe that reminded him of the fact that he's got some legitimate NBA talent and some skills. Uh, to me, it looked like he attacked off the dribble a little bit more and he got out in transition in that game against Utah, which I think he had sort of been floating. That's just sort of the way I had, he just looked lost against Utah after getting out of the G league. He, he looked like he was a little more assertive and in tune with uh, what was going on in the court around him. Look, every player is different. You know, when I think about who I was as a player, when I was playing, obviously I was never playing in the NBA bouncing between leagues, but um, I, I think I would struggle with that. I think I would struggle with my role being, so different from one day to the next, you know, depending on if you're on the varsity or the JV, right? Like that, I think that could be challenging for certain players. It would be challenging for me, but maybe it's the recipe recipe that Seku needs. Um, You know, obviously to me, I saw a real difference against Utah. He looked like a different player just mentally in terms of his approach. And, you know, if that works for him, uh, then I, I say there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I do think, just objectively speaking, though, regardless of um, you know what's best for Seku, if Casey's not going to play him significant minutes, which his minutes were definitely going down before this most recent G League game, then it makes all the sense in the world to get him in the G League because uh, the more minutes, the better uh, for Seku. He he needs he needs time. He needs the ball in his hands. He needs to be out on the court against other NBA bodies. Uh, so that's good for his development. So. Yeah, it's unorthodox, but it, you know, if it works for him, I say go for it. Yeah, the I also noticed his ability to get up and down the floor in transition and his aggressiveness in that area, which is something that uh, he hadn't had, something that he had like kind of shown when he first stepped on the scene all the way back in like December, but something that he had kind of lost as he had gone, uh, you know, throughout the season. Um, but his G League time. His, even the 30 points was just a lot of what we already knew he could do, right? It was a lot of uh, a lot of moves on the interior, getting out in transition. Um, he was, I believe, like one of eight from three, and the shot kind of deserting him is something that has also not been beneficial at his time in the NBA. Um, the The game winner was like a very long two that you would hope would like normally be a three if he positions himself better, and so you'd like him. You're glad to see him make that shot, even if it's not a three. 
But uh, the rest of his points were like, you know, him bullying guys on the interior, being stronger than other guys at the G League level, which is something that's not going to be true at the NBA level. Right. So, you know, you get a sense of like why that's not (laughs) why that's not working necessarily when he's in the NBA. And so it's not even that it's a different mindset bouncing back and forth between the G League and the NBA. It's just like you're you're asked to do so much different things. Right. The G League is a lot of what we hope future Seku gets to do. Right. Like handle the ball in the half court, uh, be a terror in transition, um, you know, finish plays, get your own offensive rebounds and and be able to finish at the rim. Um, but current Seku, like on the Pistons, is asked to be like, you know, a, a spot up shooter, a really good defender, um, get out in transition occasionally, but like don't necessarily make that a huge element of your game. And so that's that's more where I struggle to conceptualize like what we should be doing with Seku because like to me the obvious thing would be to make him to put him in the role that he's in in the G League in the NBA um, and just kind of let him fail. But you know we've talked a little bit about his uh, his mindset like on the floor. You talked about him you know fading in and out of games. You don't necessarily uh, know if he's the kind of guy who like if he fails repeatedly that could take him out of the game and kind of like, you know, that would be bad for his development in a way that you don't necessarily want. And so you, you understand why perhaps they're, they're trying to get him as much playing time as possible in, in both roles, even if it's kind of like role, role confusion. Um, Yeah. And just, you know, from my experience as a player, again, never was a NBA level player, but there is value in going against, um, a higher level of competition than you're accustomed to, right? So even though Seiko is obviously more physically dominant and athletically gifted than a lot of players in the G League, the competition level there is in many ways probably a little bit higher than what he's faced in previous seasons as a player. So I, th- I think there's just some objective value ag- against going against other guys who potentially possess some of the athletic and physical tool sets and skill sets that are required to play in the NBA. And then I think your other point is interesting and it, it meshes with something I noticed in the second half of the Utah game. It might've been the first half. I'm pretty sure it was the second half. Seiko keeps trying to post up. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, And he's getting looked off a lot when he posts. And I think that's the right decision. Uh, The reason I think it ties into what you were saying is because uh, if he's doing a lot of interior bully ball in the G League, like maybe three years from now, he can do that in the NBA when he's had a chance to, you know, lift weights for three years and train like an NBA player. <laughs> right. Yeah. But right now that doesn't work for him and he doesn't seem to get it. Like he just, his instinct is to go post up and really he's more of a three when he's out there, not a four, not a five. Uh, so I think that's a habit he's going to have to break unless, you know, he really changes his physique over the next three years or something. But I think it's an interesting point. I did not watch the G League game, but to hear you say that, it sort of it clicks with my memory of the Utah game where he's, he keeps trying to post up. It's like, well, what are you doing? Why are you posting up, man? Well, and it's like, it's interesting too, because we now know that like, unless you're an amazing post-up player, like, you know, operating from that, like, you know, 15 to 12 foot range from the post is not generally efficient offense. And so, and he's not necessarily the type of player who can make like amazing passes and draw double teams from the post, 
which is how you kind of get offensive uh, efficiency from the post. Now you kick it to open shooters after the after the team uh, brings brings help. Um, and so if he's not good enough to to draw help in the post, and he's not necessarily strong enough to to bully guys in the post at the NBA level, it you, you would kind of like lay probably do that a little bit less. You would you would like to see him do that <laughs> a little bit less. Um, but you know it just. If the G League is going to, if succeeding in the G League is going to get him to play with the energy that he came with in the first half of the Utah game on a more consistent basis, then I suppose it's worth it. Um, because again, like we, the main thing that I'm concerned about that we've talked about is the floating. Um, he, we can't have you know five, six minute swaths of games where we're not even sure like Seiku is on the floor, right? He needs. To, I'm not saying he has to impose his will on a game at the age of 19. But, you know, he does have to, you know, be uh, a, an impact player in, in his role, if uh, if not like a, a star player. All right, Ben, uh, did you notice this during the during the Utah game that the crowd was way better? I did notice that. Yeah, I, I wanted to just shout out whoever uh, made that happen for the uh, for this team. Um, that was something that was like very noticeable, even from like the television perspective. The crowd was definitely into that game in a way that um, we hadn't seen in, the, in a home game in quite some time. Uh, I don't know what the Pistons did. I don't know what if like the game ops was different. I don't know if they had like a promotion or something. But uh, you know, that's something that we've talked about a little bit as being a concern for a rebuild, right? Like we didn't know if fans would show up and spend their hard-earned money. To, to watch the team lose, you know, 60 games a year. And for whatever reason, they managed to do so uh, that Saturday night. And so, you know, good on the fans uh, for for making it the home environment actually like a, a chilling environment to play in for the, uh, for the opposing team. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's some guys who are worth being excited about. Christian Wood, I can only imagine, is a lot of fun to watch live. Well, I mean, he, you just you never know when he's going to try to go dunk on somebody, right? That's a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, when the threes are falling and they're close competitive games like we saw this week. I mean, even though the Pistons lost to Oklahoma City, they lost to Utah, there were there was good competition, right? Those are, That's what we've been asking for on this podcast as well. Don't worry so much about the wins, but worry about competing. Uh, and I think, you know, fans can get behind that to some degree when you've got some exciting young players who are fun to watch and the games are close, yeah, I'll go watch that too. Yeah, all right. Okay, Ben, the uh, Pistons play the Knicks in like 20-ish minutes. Then they have the Sixers and the Raptors later this week. Uh, can we beat the Knicks? Do we Do we want to beat the Knicks? <laughs> can we beat the Knicks is a fair question. Um, you know, last week, Laz, you reminded me that the NBA draft lots had been uh, draft odds have been flattened out, and that had kind of slipped my mind in the moment as we were talking. But it prompted me to sort of refresh my memory. And as I was looking at, the, you know, the bottom five, bottom seven teams in the NBA right now, like losing out, which obviously isn't going to happen, but if it did, actually wouldn't be all bad, especially if they stayed competitive. As it stands right now, the Pistons have about a 9% chance of leaping into that top three, top four. If they can leapfrog Minnesota and New York, that goes up to something like a 13% chance, which, you know, 4% isn't everything, but it's something. Uh, and a loss to New York would actually be pretty helpful because I think they're only one game up on the Knicks right now in the win column, something like that. So as much as I hate to watch losing, um, 
there's actually some incentive to lose, even if it's smaller than it used to be. Yeah. The, uh, so, you know, as, as we've been rebuilding, you've seen kind of fans turn their eyes towards the draft and, and, and tankathon simulations. Um, I've seen like Rod Beard this week does like he does a couple tankathon rolls in the morning and, and uh, just tweets out the results. There was one day where the Pistons got like the eighth pick, like three out of the five times he did it. It's like that would kind of suck. It was like all these they win, you know, fewer than 25 games and get the eighth pick in a draft. That's not, you know, thought of as very great. Um, that, that would be the a purely Pistons uh, result. You know, James Edwards at the Athletic. Uh, did a piece based around uh, some some tankathon rerolls where the Pistons ended up with I think it was like the fifth pick, the seventh pick, the second pick, and like the the seventh pick a couple more times, and talked about uh, some of the guys he would he would like to see the Pistons take at at all of those individual slots. And so like yeah, I think it would be uh, I don't think it'd be it'd be beneficial for the team's draft odds to to lose to the Knicks. I can say that definitively. Um, the Knicks have actually been playing better basketball as of late as well, but uh, but yeah, we'll 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 see how that goes uh, in you know in twenty ish minutes for our Detroit Pistons. All right, Ben. Uh, oh yeah, there's one more thing we wanted to talk about, um, or I wanted to talk about, and I assume you want to talk about too. The uh, the primary for Michigan is Tuesday. Go out and vote, uh, everyone. Yeah, I'm I had my. Uh, state primary on super tuesday i went out and voted early in the morning lines were fairly short that was really good i felt good about myself and uh i don't know if i'm allowed to tell you who to vote for on this podcast and i don't really even know if i want to tell you who to vote for in this podcast but just a reminder to to everyone that you know voting is a very important uh, participatory element of our democracy so go out and do it on tuesday yeah, go out and vote regardless of your political persuasions. If you follow, if you follow me on Twitter, you know what mine are, um, and I'm, I'm not afraid to talk about that. But I don't care what your position is; you should go vote. Um, we all bear the responsibility in the society in which we live to contribute to that process, um, and it's important. This is an important year. There's a lot of pressing issues that face our society, that face societies around the world. I mean, partic- particularly, we're concerned about. Um, global health pandemics potentially right now as the father of two little ones that's particularly pressing on my mind and you know who we vote for is going to impact the way that we move forward on issues like that so yeah get out there and make your voice heard this is the best way to do that all right ben uh you know what's uh what's your social media let the people know where they can find you where they can talk to you about your two little ones about about the pistons about uh Anything else that kind of strikes your fancy? Yeah, at BR Galker on Twitter. I was reminded last night uh, as I was tweeting that the internet could really benefit from a universal sarcasm font. I made some, made some jokes about Christian Wood <laughs> that were taken very literally. Um, yeah, I, I'm not that serious on Twitter anymore. But yeah, come talk to me. I like it. Oh, no, I'm sad I missed this. I was out last night, actually. I, I, so I mentioned like I DVR'd the game. Uh, I'm sad I missed you getting uh, a point a little. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I basically said um, something to the effect of it was sort of a mockery of previous criticism of Andre Drummond. So the point was something like, "Yeah, Christian Wood stuffs the box score, but the team isn't winning. You know, there have been zero playoff wins. We better trade him <laughs> for a second round pick as soon as we can." And a handful of folks <laughs> retweeted it with some with some real jabs. 
thinking that I was talking literally. I was I was definitely not. It was one hundred percent sarcasm. Oh, that that's great. That's great. Uh, okay, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. This has been the Detroit Bad, Bad Boys podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to y'all next week.